You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to episode number 39 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. If you like the podcast, remember, subscribe, rate, and review, but only if you like it. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Welcome to the podcast, dreamers. Rory O'Malley here, your host for Living the Dream. Thank you so much for listening. I have a wonderful guest this week. I really, really like this person, Mary Lou Henner. Mary Lou Henner is a legend. She has done so many amazing things in our business, from TV to Broadway to film. She has done it all, and she has maintained such a positive, wonderful outlook on life, on the business, and she's a joy to be around. I got to meet her on stage at Hamilton, where I've gotten to meet a lot of wonderful people after shows at Hamilton. And she was on Dancing with the Stars. Uh, She brought her partner, Derek, that she was about to start the Dancing with the Stars uh, contest with. And she could not have been more happy and joyous. And I connected with her immediately. We kept in touch over email and Twitter. And so when I got to Los Angeles, I said, can I please sit down with you and have a conversation about your wonderful career and all the things that you've done? From being in the original Grease, before it even got to Broadway, to Taxi, to Evening Shade, to tons of movies, she was in the revival of Chicago. She took over for Anne Ranking and has done a lot of other Broadway shows. She is a veteran of the stage film and TV. And she's also gone on to do tons of books on health, fitness, well-being. She's she's a mogul. She's a mogul, people. She was gracious enough to invite me into her home, her beautiful, beautiful home that has an amazing view. I got to meet her son, uh, who's in college, and um, it was a real honor to get to speak with her. She also has a very unique memory, (laughs) which you will hear about. She can remember everything that's ever happened to her and what day it happened, what she was wearing. She has a really incredible gift. And I first heard about it when I watched a 60 Minutes segment that she was on. And it was so popular that they did a follow-up with her. And you'll hear that we talk about it a lot on this podcast. She's an incredible person. This was a real treat for me to get to sit down and speak with her and ask her so many questions from, you know, how she's been able to raise a family to what was it like to work with Andy Kaufman and get all the Andy Kaufman stories I could. Um, So here, enjoy my wonderful conversation with Mary Lou Henner. Thank you so much for having me in your home. Oh my gosh. First of all, I love entertaining. I already offered you the entire cast of Hamilton can come here and do a party. And believe me, you're going to regret it. I did so many parties. You know what we do? If it's cold, we'll put, we put tables around the fountain out there or we do it downstairs. I mean, I've done 350 people in this house. That's it. No, I mean, this house is absolutely stunning. The view, all of Los Angeles, Runyon Canyon. Yeah. How long have you lived here? Okay, so I moved. You know, I'm going to give you dates. Oh, yeah, yeah, I moved in March the 23rd of 1989. Wow. So, yeah, so 28 years ago. Wow. That was like two husbands ago. I mean, my 
the father of my my, my son Joey, who yeah. we just met, um, my second husband. Even before we got married, we bought this house. Right. And so then, when we got a divorce after being together X amount of time yeah. in two thousand one, when we separated and decided to get a divorce, I said, "I'm going to buy the house from you because right. my kids were." Sure, sure. This was the here, house, obviously, yeah. And yeah. I just wanted to live here, and I just oh, this I mean, house. this is a, this feeling. is a kind of house that you just want to stay in forever. Oh, it has, thank you. It has the. It's a beautiful view. It's, uh, I mean, a beautiful size, but it feels like a family lives yeah. here. Oh yeah, which is so important. But I'm from Cleveland. You're from Chicago. Yeah. Like a Midwest feeling of like people actually living in a home is something that's sometimes kind of hard to find in California. I know. I know. You know. Well, the way I grew up was so unusual, so that yeah. I, you know, and and everybody now, all my siblings call this Henner West. You know, it's like we're all going to Henner West. Yeah. So I wanted that kind of like craziness that I grew up with to sort of carry into my adult life and right you know, so I don't anyway. yeah so you like you like to have a constant stimulation a of people, of people yeah surrounding. oh I can I I, I have people, everybody stays here. This is during the holidays. This is always Camp Auntie Lou, you right. know, it's like, so yeah. I have, you know, sometimes like 12 little kids and, you know, I mean, we do Christmas and depending on how many people it is, it's never fewer than 28 and sometimes it's 42 and we just put extensions on this table and the table in the dining room yeah. and I do all the cooking and my sisters, you know, my two nieces and, and I do all the cooking. You aren't someone who sits around. You, yeah. I mean, you've, <laughs> well, my nickname. you've used, you've done so much in your life. And that is one of the reasons that I'm most excited to talk with you. This is called mm-hmm. living the dream. Mm-hmm. You've, you clearly have more than just one dream. Sometimes people, when they're like, I want to be an actor. I don't right. know. I don't have any other interests. I don't really know what else to do. But clearly you've taken your success as an actress and channeled that into so many other different avenues of life in in writing books in health in in family and in so much of the work that you do with with charity or like in the fact that you are constantly creating constantly stimulating your yourself and and your mind and and putting yourself out there how do you keep that going how do you keep finding the energy for that well a couple things one, I've always had a lot of energy. In yeah. fact, my nickname as a little girl was Perpetual Motion. And my <laughs> mom would say, oh, Mary, burn off some of that energy. Yeah. Run around the block a couple of times, yeah. you know. And in fact, that's the name of my corporation is Perpetual, Perpetual Motion Inc. And so I, and I grew up in such an unusual way. I don't know if you know this story. but I, I, I know a little, but I would love for you to tell. Sure. I, I grew up in the heart of Chicago, right, right. in like a nice really cozy lower middle class neighborhood with a lot of Polish people and Greek people and German people and, and not, not not so many Greeks, mostly Polish, German and Irish. Right. Uh, right in the heart of the city on Logan Boulevard, um, if you know what that is, and uh, right next door to a Catholic school. And my mother was extremely entrepreneurial. She was Greek. My dad was Polish. They were first generation. And my mother always wanted to be a dancer. So she had a dancing school and there was a fake garage that we built into a dance studio. And we had 200 students between the ages of two and 80, including the nuns from the Catholic school next door who would come over for stretch classes. 
And as soon as you were 14 in my house, yeah. you got a class. So you started teaching little girls or you started teaching little boys or whatever. My mother taught basically things like, um, you know, cha-cha and jitterbug and social dancing. Right. And the rest of us, my sister Joanne, my sister Melody and I, and my brother Lauren, who's like the Bob Fosse of the neighborhood. Wow. We taught little kids tap, ballet, and jazz. You taught? I ta- Oh, I taught my whole life. I taught wow. from the time I was 14 until I left to become a professional actress. Wow. And even kind of after that. Um, I always taught dancing, but I taught... To like little kids and teenagers. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't enough for my mother. My mom also was a major, major <laughs> hairdresser and ran a beauty shop, a salon out of our kitchen with about 25 women from the neighborhood what? who would come over and get their hair done. So the kitchen was set up like a salon, like steel magnolias or something. And instead of a refrigerator in the kitchen that was in the basement, yeah. there was a blue hair drying chair instead where the refrigerator was supposed to be and the house smelled like perm solution and it always like somebody was getting their hair cut and then yeah. she also went over and cut the nun's hair in the at the catholic church next door <laughs> she would do a house call She'd for, do at house the convent. Calls for yeah for the convent and for the priests she also took them bra shopping at vasaret you know i mean it was like we we had backstage <laughs> passes to catholicism wow so we grew up were you, like were you did you grow up catholic oh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, catholic okay, high yeah, school yeah. catholic grade school all girls catholic yeah. high school all boys. I, it was the best education you know? yeah but that still was not enough Upstairs from us, because it was like a typical Chicago two flat, you know, which is yeah. like they have a lot of houses like that in Queens and Brooklyn and things. Um, my uncle, my mother's younger brother, lived upstairs with 10 cats, two dogs, two birds, a skunk, 150 fish, and his boyfriend, Charles. And he lived upstairs and he taught art at the Catholic grammar school next door. He was Mr. Collis, the art teacher. But everybody really called him uncle, even though he wasn't everybody's uncle. Right. And he taught art classes after school. So after school, we had the dancing school in the backyard, the beauty shop in the kitchen, the art classes going on upstairs. And my uncle was also the neighborhood astrologist. So people would come over for art, uh, for astrology readings. And he ran a cat hospital on our roof. So that's how I grew up. That's so. So that. So this is completely this is, calm. Oh, this compared is so to where calm. you grew up. I'm like boring compared to my mother and the way she raised us. I mean, us. talk about perpetual emotion. Yeah. Like how could I? I can't imagine how active you were if you stood out. I know in that. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I know there was always so much activity at my house, and yeah. and it, it just gave me that. It gave all of us that really entrepreneurial spirit. So just. I don't want to say just being an actress. So being an actress, only being an actress was never going to, was never going to satisfy my writing interests yeah. and my, you know, my teaching people things. Yeah. And my memory certainly yeah. was unusual. And so I was able to always record things and stuff. So, yeah. you know, this, I always wanted to do more than just because be an when you are an actor, no matter what level you're at, you're always waiting for someone yeah. to come to you with a job. Right. You're always waiting. So if you aren't active, if you aren't creating something yeah. on your own, you're out of luck yeah. until something comes along. So that just is not... What, no, it's too the person, passive. Yeah, <laughs> way too passive for, for yeah. the kind of life that you came from in Chicago and, and the family that you came from. But we, we have to immediately talk about the memory stuff because okay. I think sure. it is, one, just so fascinating to me and two, I think it's it must have shaped so much of well, who you are. It's funny. Yes, no question about it. But it until the whole 60 Minutes thing yeah. came about, yeah. I had no idea, two things, how unusual it was. I right. knew I was the only person in my family yeah. and then my circle of friends and then in the people that I knew. But I had no idea how rare it is in the world and how 
you know, how we, we've now changed medical books and science right. books and stuff and research, especially research for like Alzheimer's and, right. and, uh, dementia and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so happy it was discovered during my lifetime because I love contributing to the testing and, you know, right. research and everything. Well, well let's go back. Okay, and let's what, go back. It, it's what it called. Is. It's called. I, no. I I don't have it because I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> no, it's so the, it, the name is is now called highly superior autobiographical memory HSAM. Wow. First they were calling it hyperthymesia, and then they realized that's not a good name. Okay. So it's highly superior autobiographical memory, and basically what it means. Well, first of all, they they've done research on people, and they find out that most people remember eight to 11 events within any given year of their lives. If I started talking to you about 2002 or to 1997 or whatever, you could probably sit here and come up with eight to 11 events right. within any given year. Right. That's so sad to me. Right. Because I remember virtually every single day of my life. So the criteria for HSAM is 200 plus, right. but there's like a group of us in the 99 percentile that remember 365 or 366 if it's a leap year and we've been tested. They've basically taken cheek samples, hair samples, blood samples, muscle testing, saliva samples, of course. Um, uh, they've wired me, put me through an MRI, fired up questions. Um, you know, yeah. ask me questions to About see how my brain and, fires up. Yeah. And they took 300 measurements of my brain and found nine areas 10 times larger than the normal brain. Wow. Yeah. But I know, I know for, for me that it's, it's definitely been a combination of nature and nurture. I think I was definitely born with something very unusual. Sure. But as a little girl, I knew I had an unusual memory and I loved it because right. it, it differentiated me from yeah. my six brothers and sisters. And know, all the, the dogs and animals and, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> like, all like, 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 yeah. I can yeah. imagine that you would be like, it, it, there must have been a point where it went from being a party trick though. Yeah. To being and to be something that would impress people to being like, oh my. Well, I didn't think of it is... as a party trick. I would just be like, what? You don't remember this? Come right. on. Because people would say, when I was little, they'd say to my mom, what's with that kid in her memory? She remembers the little day I was here, what I was wearing, what we right. talked about. You know, so I was called like Miss Memory and the Memory Kid and wow. Univac, and, which is an old computer. And people, you know, they knew and I became this the family historian. Yeah. So it wasn't so much, it, nobody ever thought of it as a trick as much as they thought of it as like, Something's unusual. It was going beyond on. a trick. Yeah. Because it I mean it was too, of course. It's too pronounced and 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 rare. It's just there. Yeah. It's just there. I think of myself as being fairly good with dates, but it's like I can remember what year something happened. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> you know? like, When's your birthday? Because I don't even know. December twenty third, nineteen eighty. Okay, so December twenty third, nineteen eighty. That was a Tuesday, right? I yeah. Okay, I'm pretty I know, sure. Yeah, December twenty third, nineteen eighty. I know exactly what I was doing on that day, what were you and doing? I was in Chicago. I mean, I remember shopping. Exactly what I was doing, December twenty third, nineteen eighty. December twenty third. All right, so you were born nineteen eighty. Yeah. So your twenty first birthday would have been two thousand one. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Okay. So two thousand one. So do you remember how you celebrated your twenty? This was one of the questions on sixty minutes. Right. So do you like remember how, what you did? Do I remember my twenty first birthday? Mm -hmm. Half of it. Half of it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what day of the week it was or do you uh, remember anything about it? Because this is a 60 Minutes question. I remember like that I had a chicken hat that my friend Jennifer Dunn made me wear a chicken hat. Like, I, I don't know if that Do you remember what day of the week it was? Oh, no. Around mm -hmm. what time? Do you remember? <sighs> I don't remember what day of the week it was. No, absolutely no clue. Um, I assume it was a weekend, but it's hard because 
my birthday is right before Christmas. Right, so, so everyone's always off. Like, it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could tell you, you know, I could tell you like, like 1997, your birthday was a Tuesday. And, uh, yeah. you know, in, in, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's like in 1988, your, so your birthday was on a Friday. One of the, one it's of the, just there. It's there. It's and unreal. I see what I was doing on that yeah. day. It's like, boom, boom. And, and you're like, are you pulling the files? Like, you know, when I have to like think about a memory, I have to kind of try to search. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. I go to a memory and I'm like, just like when you asked me about my 21st birthday, I had to be like, okay, now let me think about this. Where was I? What, where is that file? Right. You know? So right. for you, is it just kind of right there? It's kind of right there. It's wow. almost like, it's almost, it's, it's, um, I, this is the closest that I can describe it to people. Cause right. I, you know, I, I've been describing it since I was a little of girl. Course. So I'd say, well, it's like a card catalog. You know, it's like yeah. people wouldn't understand filing. Yeah. It's kind of like a timeline. Yeah. A sequential timeline, but yeah. it's it's almost like a scene selection on a DVD yeah. lined up in a file, like in a timeline with all the videos right next to each other and they're all going simultaneously yeah. and I can go yeah. and just swoop in. So you, that 60 minutes, uh, was life changing. Yeah. I, I, life changing. I, seeing all of you together. Mm-hmm. And when they would go through different dates and you would be, oh, yes, and this is this day of the right. week. And, that, and seeing you bond right. out of, over something that you hadn't had that bond with anyone else sure. before was kind of profound and beautiful. Yeah. I love getting to see that. And the second time with the child. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To see you guys all kind of – see you taking – him I wonder how he's wing. doing, by the way. I hope yeah. he's okay. I'm sure he's fine because yeah. his parents were very, they embraced it. Right. I mean, a lot, it's funny though, because a lot of times people write to me or they see me and now everybody, that's all people want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people stop me and they'll say, oh, you know, my daughter has this or my child, my cousin has this or something. I say, you know what? You're worried about it? Get them into acting because yeah. nothing will be more valuable to someone who's studying to be an actor yeah. than learning how to embrace your memories, your right. past, your yeah. ability to recall things and writing and writing. Being yeah. Creative. I'd go, I'd go to uh, an acting class and do a sense memory exercise. And they'd say like, you know, bring a piece of music or a fabric or, or a smell or something like that or yeah. photograph and be like instant. They go, how are you there so fast? And it's yeah. like, how are you not? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, we just, we, uh, before we started and I met your son, you described, the day he was born yeah. in like detail and, 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 and of course that's a day that many of course. people And memories remember. tied to adrenaline. So that's really? why people remember highs and lows. What I'm trying to do through my books and my research and my teaching classes and I'm yeah. going to do a memory show for a lifetime, I'm trying to bring back all those middle of the, you know, what I call the hour town moments, those yeah. little moments that people tend to forget because they right. aren't tied to adrenaline. Right. You know? they, they almost, you, you turn those, those moments in your life to feelings more mm-hmm. you know like when you walk in somewhere and well, you some people some, do not yeah. everybody does that do you mean like sometimes people hold on to things and some people don't oh I, my gosh totally yeah. or and everything you've ever been through is on your emotional hard drive and it yeah. makes you behave in certain ways you just not, might not be able to access it the right. people of hsm we just happen to have extraordinary retrieval systems right but you could be in the middle of a massage and someone touches you and it's like oh my god why did that memory come back or yeah. you smell something yeah or you hear something or you taste something and it's like oh my god back in my grandma mothers or yeah you know, whatever. yeah that, that so it's in there a lot but uh, but it's hard to recall the exact origin of them and you yeah. you just have that right at your fingertips so you got into how did you start 
becoming an actress? Well, like you, you were from a young age as a dancer. Very young. Well, my family had this dancing school. Right. So people would call and they'd say, uh, we need 12 kids for the king and I. It's like, oh, pick me, pick me. <laughs> we need two kids for yeah. South Pacific. You know, yeah. pick me, pick me. Yeah. So I would just start doing plays. And my oldest sister, who's like 10 grades ahead of me, she's right. nine and a half years, but she, um, she did uh, was always like the lead in school plays and her college plays. So I'd be like the little girl following her around with her her script and run lines with her. And right. she was also starting to choreograph uh, for different high schools around the city. So I'd go and help her do that as well. Right. So I was just always around theater people, and I had was like a very good student. So you know I was able to get my homework done and kind of do. So I always knew I wanted to be an actress. I mean, in sixth yeah. grade. You know, the other girls stayed on Tuesdays for nun club, but I went home with the boys, you know. Right. <laughs> I wasn't going to none, none unless it was Sound of Music. Right, 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 right. Unless they were singing. <laughs> yeah, unless they were singing. Uh, yeah. So, so you, you, you were into it from the beginning, but did you know that you were going to do it professionally right away? I oh, mean, yeah. You, I mean, you, I had ideas. That I knew. I knew right. I was going to be out of my neighborhood. I knew yeah. I was going to go to Broadway. I mean, yeah. I, I had stars in my eyes. And, and that the was first... Gonna be it production that you were a part of yeah. was great. pretty crazy. Well, what happened was I started doing, you know, Chicago's got an incredible community theater system. Right. So I started doing plays at Hull House and stuff. And there was a production I did. I was 15 years old. And it was like all these people who were like a lot older than I was, but I, you know, would do my homework on the bus because I yeah. thought, oh, I, you know, I want to do both. So it was a production of The Boyfriend and it was great. I played Dulcie and it was a had that number and everything else. And um, like a year, you know, two years later, one of the guys who who was in the show with me, who was actually over 10 years older than I was, but he worked um, in the advertising business. He called me and he said, Hannah, I, I've written a show. It may never get off the ground. I want you to be part of it. Uh, we're going to perform it in a converted trolley barn at the uh, Kingston Mines Theater. I wrote it about the kids I went to high school with, and it's called Grease. So we walked in for the first rehearsal and there were two stacks of paper and I'm indicating about 15 inches high, yeah. you know, at yeah. least a foot high, right. two stacks. One of them was songs. So the songs were passed out and we tried different songs. And the other one was scenes. So there was like the polio shot scene, the book report scene, right. the lunchroom scene, yeah. the rumble scene, the pajama party scene, you know, the buying a new car scene, yeah. you know, all those things. And slowly but surely that became Grease. And now I was a real goody two shoes. I mean, I was, you know, outstanding teenager of Illinois, four scholarships, go to yeah. university, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm playing a greaser, right. which was so different than my yeah. own kind of makeup. But I loved it because I got to tease my hair and we put, we were such a tough, Chicago gang of girls that we teased our hair and put razor blades in it. And all the girls were a lot older than I was, but I loved being part of this gang. Yeah. And I, I thought it was like so much fun. We assaulted the audience. We came up through the aisle and like practically stepped on people's fingers. And it was yeah. so different than anything that I was doing yeah. in my life, in real life. But it was such a cool experience because it was... So, and here's the crazy thing. Okay, so Greece is really about 1959, 1960, because yeah. that's when Jim uh, graduated. This was 1971. So only 11 years had yeah. passed, and people were already... The 60s, though, were so intense yeah. that people were feeling nostalgic for the late 50s. Right. 
like, oh, we haven't seen it. I mean, if you, this would, doing Grease now would be like doing a show about 2009. Right. You know? Like, yeah, no, I know. It's, I think not it's, quite, but yeah, but it's just, it, it is crazy to me. Yeah, I, so, and so much of the 60s and the 50s because my mom was a baby boomer. Yeah. Like, I feel like I was born in 1980, yet I feel like I lived every year of the 60s because right. they weighed so heavy on our culture. Of course. I know every year, like, talk about, you know, knowing what happened in certain years. I know a lot about those 60s. Before you were there. born. I was I there. But I, I, I'm sure that, like, having some nostalgia after coming out of that decade right. for, you know, easier times. Yeah. Simpler times or, you know, the, those high school years for, for that generation yeah. was really important. And, and the show was 75% book, 25% music. Really? And now it, it became 75% music, 25% right. book. So someone like Tom Moore was brilliant enough to know how to fashion it. Right. But what happened, uh, wait, can I just ask you, are, are, do we have a lot of time? We have as much time as you want. Really? Mary okay. Lou so if we, yeah. I mean, my show is at, se- I have to be there at 730. No, no, no. But, <laughs> no, but I mean, are we okay for me to like really yes. expand on yes. something? Cause you, you could turn in this into more than one podcast, right? Oh yeah, I'm gonna. Okay. Do, it's a ten part series with Mary okay. Lou <laughs> <laughs> And she's only done one year so far. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah. it, so it was so intense, and people loved it so much. So we became this huge Chicago hit, yeah. and then people from New York saw the show, and they loved it, and they asked some of us to come and audition. Right. But I thought. It's such a Chicago show. I have these four scholarships at University of Chicago. Yeah. Plus, my father had just he had died, you know, uh, yeah. like uh, within that last year. And I thought I can't, I, I shouldn't take the risk and lose the school time, right? Right. Of course, I was kicking myself in the ass when I realized how incredible the show was because right. I went to see it on a spring break, and then on Broadway, on Broadway, wow. and I just could not believe how unbelievable it was. Yeah. And then I got a call. It was November the 27th of 1972, and I was just starting my junior year. I was only going to have to do three years of college because I placed out of a lot. Okay. But I got a call from Jim Jacobs. He said, like, Hannah, <laughs> the, the national company starts tomorrow. If you come to New York this afternoon, I saved the part of Marty for you. You'll get the part, but you have to be here. And I said, Jim, I have two papers due on I have two papers due this weekend. Yeah. This was a Monday morning. I said, I have two papers due by Friday. I'm on my way to the library right now. I love you so much. Thank you for thinking of me, but I just, I can't do it. I'm in a show. I'm in a relationship. No, I can't. I, you know, my roommates will, I said, yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Anyway, so I hung up from him and I started walking toward the library and my car was parked in front of the library, which never happens. So I looked at my car, looked at the library, looked at my car, looked at the library, my car, the library, Threw my books in the car, went to the airport, flew student standby, went to, to the audition and got it. And they said, be here for the first rehearsal tomorrow. Oh. My heart was pounding. I thought, oh my God, I just got cast in the first national company of Greece. And I called my mother and I said, mom, I'm not at school. I'm, you know, I'm going to do this. Jim called me, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, Mary, I'm so happy because you could have been a doctor. You could have been, I really wanted you always in show business. <laughs> so oh she was so happy. So that was it. So I slept on Jim's couch. And the next day I went to the first rehearsal and walked into this room. Now imagine in this room, Jeff Conaway was playing Danny Zuko. Right. Uh, Jerry Zachs was playing Kanicki. Michael <laughs> Lembeck who, of course, you know, did the directed the pilot of Everybody Loves Raymond and right. a bazillion Friends episodes. Yeah. He was Sonny. John Travolta was playing Duty. Judy Kay 
big Broadway actress was playing yeah. Riz, was playing Rizzo, uh, and rehearsing with us for the London Company to play Danny was Richard Gere. <laughs> okay, Johnny and I were the two youngest. And we bonded instantly because yeah. we were both from big families and yeah. he wanted to know everything about duty and what I knew about Greece and stuff. Yeah. And that was it. They gave me 15 hours to go home, pack up my life, throw a note under the bursar's uh, you know, door and, yeah. and I did it. That must have been one of the scariest things you've ever done in, in your career. In retrospect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. because uh, you know, taking a chance like that early on those those big chances that you take and obviously because you had a, you had a life you had something that you were giving up you mm-hmm. had something that you had to kind of sacrifice just to, to yeah. step away from but my god to be in a room with all of those people clearly like that that room and that those people who were there formed what the next few years after oh. that Definitely. Word. Well, and especially in Greece really did it. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy how many people came through Greece that then became very successful. So it was almost like the best training ground. Yeah. It's interesting because my son, Nick, you met Joey, yeah. but Nick is now, he wants to be a director. He's like a, an extraordinary talent, very handsome. And he's going to be an incredible director. I wish he would be an actor director, but anyway, because he did a lot of, <laughs> you're but, the only mom who's like, please but get a deck. His best friend yeah. is Ben Platt. Oh, right. And they went to school together. And uh, his girlfriend is Molly Gordon, who's the young female lead on um, Animal Kingdom. And she's in the new Melissa McCarthy movie that'll be out next summer. And her mother's Jesse Nelson, who wrote uh, Waitress. And her father is Brian Gordon. And so, you know, and they know all these kids. Noah Galvin. I mean, like these kids... All and Beanie Feldstein. What am I talking about? Beanie's been Joe, uh, Nikki's best friend since they're before they're born because my wow. his, her mom and I are best friends, right? And so they grew up together, yeah. And, and ended up graduating so they're all surrounded together. by, so yeah. But I mean, world. they they didn't have the the sort of like you know Ellis Island of Greece, you yeah, know what I'm yeah, yeah. It's amazing that these kids have all found one another and have become this the movers and shakers of this next generation. Yeah. It's funny you say that about about Greece being Ellis Island or you know and I think I know what you're saying by that by like take bringing so many people together in yes. a room and and starting their careers off. Yeah. I I really think that's what Hamilton is doing and I'm not saying oh, that for myself yes. but you know I really feel like there's this whole new crop of actors especially in our tour they're like right out of college right. if that they're and they're being given a chance. Careers, and they're being given a chance. Which is, would, would not have been in the Greece days. Right. You know? Right. Yes, absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, that's why it's so great because the diversity and it also, you know, plays with your mind to say, yeah, that's what the, those, those yeah. founding fathers fathers yeah. were like scrappy and immigrants. Right, and, right, right. You know, you know and, and it's so also brilliant. like it's inspiring a whole new generation of people um, coming to the theater, people of color, seeing other people yes. like playing these parts and, and not just being like, Oh, I can be on stage, but saying like, Oh, the story of George Washington is my story too. Yeah. Anyway, and I can I'm, be the lead. No, see I how mean, I got to how, Hamilton. No, somehow. it's great. No, Hamilton is. Yeah, let me tell you something. Last year, the Schuberts called me. And they said, "Would you do us a favor? We want you to do a thing for us in um, in uh, New Orleans." And I said, "Great." And you know, I'm a speaker. I go all over yeah, the country yeah. doing speaking things, and I do all kinds of stuff. But I would have done it for the Schuberts anyway. And they said, "Well, what can uh, you know? What can we give you? What you?" I went, "No, I want tickets to Hamilton. Just give me tickets <laughs> to it. Hamilton." So that's, I did, and I saw one of the last right performances I, of everybody. I saw it uh, on July the sixth wow. right before everybody that's left. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the last That's right. Was that when you came with Derek? The first time. No. The first Derek time. I came on September the seventh. Okay. Wednesday. Great. Both of them were Wednesdays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, no, I, I, I was of last I was year. Both, and yeah, he was listening to yes, 2016. yes, 2016, because you know the, they're going to check. Like, uh, uh, yeah, no, um, I, I remember you coming at least the the second time with yeah. Derek. Well, I, I mentioned, yeah, yeah, the second time I came with Derek. Yes, first yes. time I did. Yeah. it was a whole, it was a lot of new people the second time. Yeah, that we saw it. Yeah, I saw yeah. And, the yeah. whole new, a whole new crop of of mm-hmm. actors. Um, okay, so you're in Greece. You're on a national tour, which is uh, for me what I've realized in getting to do the show in San Francisco and Los Angeles. I've only done shows, you know, pro- big productions of shows on Broadway. How thrilling it is to take a show to a city. I bet. Greece couldn't have been more. Well, thrilling. I don't know how they felt about it. <laughs> oh yeah, Ohio yeah, yeah. On a that's Wednesday true. afternoon, that's with true. all the blue-haired ladies, yeah, and you yeah. looked out, and they all looked like they had those 3D glasses on. Yeah. and you thought, oh my god! And with the first, can I swear or not? Yes, you can. With the first, fuck you. We yeah. lost like a third of our audience. You know that yeah, kind of thing. That's so true. it was really. I mean, it was a very interesting experience. And the first Greece. Well, the first first Grease, the original Grease was ridiculously, you know, my my one character said "fuck you" seven times. Really? Yeah. Wow. But but it was so filthy. And then the Broadway version, the first Broadway version was still like they sanitized it, but not that much. Right. And the subsequent ones have been so much less. You know. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. clean it up they a little bit. They clean it up bit. as they go along. Especially now it's done in like every high school. Oh, excuse me. Joey, when yeah. he was eight, he played Sonny. Nice. And Nick and Nicky played, because he was nine and a half, he played yeah. uh, Danny. Oh. So, yeah. Perfect. So, I know. They didn't. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't swearing. So, you, uh, you're you doing a national tour. I'm doing a national tour. I make it back to Chicago. Make it back to Chicago. Oh, my gosh. I'm finally like, in my own town. Yeah. And I'm back at school apartment and everything. I was like... Oh, I'm girl in my hometown. And we were started at the Blackstone and we were moving to the Schubert. So we a, a, actually ended up with an extra day off because we went from a Saturday night to a Sunday sk- Anyway, we, sure. we had, they had to move the, change the set and move okay. to a different theater because it was such a big hit there. Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine said, oh, come to New York. This is so cool. Come to New York. I said, okay, because she was doing Frenchie on Broadway at the time. So she said, I've got a singing lesson. Just meet me at the theater. And I went, okay. You know, I'd stayed with her, and then it was like ran errands and stuff. So I walk in, and they're they're auditioning for a show. There's a new show going on over here with the Andrew sisters. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, man, I haven't. I said, I know I'm not right for any of the parts. I said, but uh, let me go out and say hi and everything. So I went out and walked backward and my hair was short and I just lost some weight because I was always up and down my weight before I figured out health. Uh And so I walked in. They were like, oh, my gosh, it's great to see you. And they said, are you here to audition? And I said, no. And they said, you might be right for one of the parts. And I sang and thought nothing of it. And a week later, they called me and they said, you have to come back. I flew in the morning, came back in the afternoon, did a show that night. And the next day, during the intermission of a Wednesday matinee at the Schubert Theater, yeah. I get they say to me, you got the part. So now I'm upended again, and I moved to New York to, to be do on the Broadway, Broadway show. Of over here. Over here. And what part Johnny. You- I was Donna, the waitress. Donna, the waitress. And I played opposite Treat Williams. Oh. <laughs> and Annie Ranking was my dressing roommate. Oh. My Phyllis God. Somerville was in the show, and Janie Sell, and the Andrews sisters, and well, here's Johnny here. I'm very Travolta. excited to get to tell you this. I was Billy my freshman year of oh. high school in Over Here. I oh. can't remember. I that wasn't with Donna or whatever your character was. No, no, I, no. I, you were the been, young. Uh, yeah. you were the one getting married who yeah. wanted to get married just to get laid. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So you really <laughs> until the end of time to kiss your lips of wine. Oh, nice. baby, yeah. yeah, I love that song. Over that's here, my favorite song. Over shot. here, yeah. No, it was it, it was a great show. I did it at the all girls school, Magnificat oh. High School in Cleveland, Ohio. Great female roles. Yeah, and I was Billy. 
and you're Bill. I think it was Bill. Bill. But Bill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, then I was Billy the in the next show. I was I had this like running gag that I only or played Bills. Bills or Billies. I was Billy in Anything Goes. Uh-huh. That's what oh, it was. Oh yeah. Bill. Yeah. It's this the memory on this one. I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you get a Broadway, you're in your Broadway. I'm, in, I'm doing a Broadway show. I The first preview happens and I get calls from six agents the next day. I couldn't believe it. And I was 21 years old and it was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So I, I you, had doing a, you didn't have an agent at that no, time. No, I didn't have an agent. No, I just, you know, it's like, we'll give you this. I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. You know, I thought I was going back to Chicago today. I mean, I knew yeah. I was going to do the, I didn't know if I was going to do it then or go back to school for a sure. while or whatever. Sure. But then that was it. I just started doing that. And then I started doing a ton. Ton of commercials. I did seventy-two commercials in two years in New York City. In New York City, wow! I did. You wouldn't believe the commercials I did. It's funny because I'm doing my club act here in LA. Yeah, but you'll be doing the show, unfortunately. But maybe you can okay. come to a rehearsal. Yeah, but yeah. I tell some of these stories in the club oh, act okay. because here's the thing: I not only sang in commercials like "I Love Saving in the Springtime," yeah. Samsonite. I was the Samsonite <laughs> luggage girl. Amazing. I did it. Uh, family night at Ponderosa every Tuesday night at Ponderosa, right? Yeah. And then I did four Playtex bra commercials. Um, it's got sash here and seeing with support. Two Playtex panties commercials. Super look sheer. Super look sheer. Wait, were you singing and singing? In- and you saw in that <laughs> one, you saw my butt walking my dog, walking around Lincoln Center, getting on a bus. Bowling. The, the audition for it was just shooting your crotch and your butt. <laughs> you, saw, you saw all the Polaroids lined up. Oh but I was God. also, I, I did so many commercials. I did everything from Gleam toothpaste to peanut, Reese's peanut butter cups to, to, I was Annie Sullivan in an Exxon Bicentennial Minute because I told my, my um, agent that I knew that it, the, uh, you know, the alphabet. Yeah. I knew, you know, yeah, yeah, they yeah. called it the deaf and dumb alphabet. I don't think yeah, they say yeah, that yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I told them I knew that. So I did this whole thing that was based on the Miracle Worker, and I got a Clio nomination for that oh as well. And I did so many commercials. Wow. It took me 40 to get my first one because I was always 40 like, auditions? Yeah, yeah, 40 auditions. This is what people don't realize as actors, because I'm sure you have a lot yes, of actors yeah. listening to this. Yeah, yeah. You have, first of all, you have to fall in love with auditioning because right. that is what we do. And it's, right. it's, let's face it, if you go into it with the right attitude and think, this is the only 10 minutes I have this job, so I might as well, you know, make it my job. Yeah. And I, for 40 auditions, was just always trying to overthink, like, what do they want? What do they want? And I was trying to fit myself, deny myself. I'd leave my personality outside and then just go in and do, like, what I thought they wanted. Yeah. And then a friend of mine called me in for an audition that I was wrong for, but he wanted to see me, so he had me go in. But I thought, oh, if Michael's calling me in, Michael Gibson, he's an arranger, yeah. I'm going to, you know, do, I'm just going to do, that was for Mr. Coffee. My new Mr. Coffee has me in a world, you know. Anyway, <laughs> it's crazy how things come back. Yeah. Okay, so I went in and he called me that night and he said, uh, he said, you did, we almost changed the concept for you, but um, you were so f- much fun in that audition. I can f- see why you're not getting a commercials because you, you're not being you. You've got to go in there and be you. Today you were you. We almost changed it. But next time you're you, trust me, you're going to get the job. Yeah. And I did. I just started booking one right after the next. Wow. And made a big difference. I think that's, that I think advice. you're absolutely right. That's commercials or anything that if you go in and you stop trying to be whatever version you think they want of you or whatever version it is you think that it would be better if it was, go in there with what it says in your heart, either the character right. or if it's a commercial, you yourself. Be genuine and yeah. authentic and people 
will be we'll read much that. more. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. you look, you're, you know, as my acting teacher used to say, you're in the land where elephants die. And, you know, as somebody who's got a lot of energy, I just look constipated, you know, it's because <laughs> yeah. I like, yeah, okay, if you're holding extract back. my personality. I'm not going to have this energy. You yeah. Know? And, you know, yeah. I just started, I mean, I did everything. Ponderosa Steakhouse, as I sang for you before. I it's did amazing. like every, every kind of commercial, Barnett Banks. I mean, I did so many different commercials. So that was arranged. your start yeah. into the TV right. world. Right. So is taxi like around that time? Like when did it, when was that? Well, what happened was I auditioned for a movie and got it and found out, um, Wednesday, April 6, 1977, that I was going to go be flown to Los Angeles for a screen test. It's actually my birthday. So I would remember that. But it was like very exciting. And I was going to screen test and I screen tested opposite my buddy, Richard Gere, because everything is connected to everything. So yeah. I got the part, and that's what moved me moved me to Los Angeles. Right. And then Joel Thurm, a casting director, who just liked me, he called me in for everything. So he said, I've got a project that you're too young for, because they wanted, I was 25, and they wanted a 35-year-old Italian New Yorker. And it was right around the time of Unmarried Woman and... Um, uh, uh, goodbye girl. So they okay. wanted her to have like a semi teenage, you know, kind of middle school t- or teenage daughter. Sure. And it was the audition for taxi and nothing was written. It was a 12 on the air commitment. There was only a monologue of me on the phone calling my daughter saying, I'm picking her up after her- she's visiting my ex-husband, you know, her dad, yeah. and I'm picking her up at the airport and I'm not going to be bringing a car. I'm going to be bringing a taxi. So that was a monologue that I had read. And they kept bringing me back and saying, gosh, she's so young. She's so this. Can she go toe to toe with somebody like a Judd Hirsch? We right. were, anyway, they, oh man, this is such a long story, but I'll give you the, the highlights. Okay. I had a contract with CBS because they just really liked me at CBS in New York and Gene, I met Gene Guest and everything. So they, I had a contract for CBS. They called me to honor the contract and do the show Paper Chase. But I had just arrived in Rio at the time. I was dating John Travolta, and we were in Rio. <laughs> I think we would need the whole story. No. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no FedEx in those days and no fax right. machines. Yeah. So I said, oh. I said, I'll only come back if I can do it as a guest star, because I really didn't want to get on a plane. I just literally just landed. Yeah. And they said, okay, you can do it as a guest star. So I did the paper chase as a guest okay. star and then honored the contract by doing a pilot called Leonard opposite Leonard Fry. And then they, that died, but they tested paper chase at the same time. They were trying to figure out what they're going to do about taxi. And I tested higher than anybody, but they didn't have me under contract. So they threw a ton of money at me. And I said, so now the taxi people were like, Oh, we don't want to lose her. So I ended up getting taxi. So I really had the choice, my choice between the two. And I'm so happy I did taxi. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was life changing. So what was your decision though at that, at such a young age to be able to make that decision? How, how did you go about that? Well, my mother was dying in Chicago and the only time I left her bedside, her hospital room, uh, was, uh, to, to go and audition for taxi. And she had a good feeling about it. And I had a good feeling about it. And I've always, yeah, I think when you have a good memory, you sort of understand patterns and you see things. And I saw the word taxi in print when I was in Chicago and I hadn't even had my first audition for it. And I said, I'm going to get that job. Like for some reason, like it just jumped off the page to me. I didn't even know anything about it, but I just said, I'm going to get that part. 
Yeah, I can so, imagine. Yeah, patterns and seeing yeah. things and knowing what stands out. You yeah. notice it right away. But they liked they liked that I sort of looked like somebody who could be interested in art. They made instead of giving me a daughter, they gave me two little kids. Right, they were still too young for me to have. But yeah, and you know, my mom died, and a couple of weeks later, I got taxi. So I always wow. felt like she arranged it. Was a part of that. Yeah. Wow, that's really that's really beautiful. And you had, and once again, you're in a cast in a room with these. It's crazy. Well, you know what it's like. You do a classic thing, and yeah. and it like the rest of my life, I'll be known for Taxi, and yeah. you'll be known for Hamilton. Yes, and it's like, thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you, God. How nice to be part of a yeah. classic. Yeah. You know, piece absolutely. Of, of you know art. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, I feel like Taxi changed television in so many different ways yeah. and it was really because you had a cast of ensemble of actors that had characters that you were all so rich and genuine and true and not just uh archetypes of something from the past that that was a new kind of story being told that people hadn't seen before right and was Cutting edge, especially at that. It was gritty. It wasn't on uh, uh, audio tape. I mean, it wasn't on videotape. Right. You know, it was like, I mean, when you think about the, the Thursday night lineup when the show first went on, the first one was, you know, uh, uh, Happy Days. So it was on right. Tuesday, Happy yeah, Days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you had Shlomiel, Shlomiel. You yeah. had uh, Laverne and Shirley. And then you had Three's Company, you know, come on, knock right. on the door. And then you had... Doo, 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 doo. It was yeah. so oddball. Yeah. It was so dark. Compared to that, those candy colors of everybody else. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was a greedy show and they were, I don't want to say that we were losers, but we were people with a dream who weren't having their dreams realized every week. Right. But this cast adored one another. Oh, uh, good. The producers had just come off of the, the run of, you know, Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda and Phyllis. So they wanted to write for guys, but they knew they had to put a woman in there. So it was like <laughs> six guys and me. Yeah. It was the perfect job. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, just, I loved every single moment of it. That's great. And you had the Andy Kaufman. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, larger than life type person or like like was he and i mean you also did the movie about his life right. with jim carrey which was like so i mean what was i want to know like what it was like to work with him but also doing the movie about working with him right was that that whole experience well, so weird it, it was weird and with all due respect to jim carrey because i yeah. adore him yeah and i think he captured some of the crazy of but you only saw the crazy i mean the thing that was sure. really andy's genius is that he could be the most normal sweet adorable person yeah. sitting next to you having a totally like andy kind of you know boy next door conversation right. and then go do something so crazy that you just you could get whiplash from the segue right. you know and he was so he only came in I, and also they made him sound they made him sound much more negative than my experience with him. Sure. Was. It was darker. Yeah, than, darker and yeah. more like angry. Than, yeah. You know, because he and I really got close, especially toward really? the end. Yeah. 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 I had seen him like a month before he died and, wow. and everything. And I, 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 it was the most choked up I've ever been because obviously I'm a talker. Yeah. But I, at his funeral, I could barely talk. Yeah. You know? So, no, he was... He was very, he was very sweet, and you would never know that from the movie. Right. But he definitely had his crazy. I mean, there's like so many stories. The the one that they did show you about where he was, um, Tony Clifton. Yeah. You know that was that was pretty sweet. crazy because we had worked together. We started our very first read through. 
Well, let, let me tell you a little backstory on yeah. my experience with Andy. I had seen him at the Improv in in uh, in um, uh, New York. Okay. I'd seen him in 1976, actually, before I left New York in 77. And, we, you know, we all went there after the show because, yeah. you know, we were, Greece was like going on unemployment. You went in between jobs. You know? <laughs> right, like, right, right. Oh, yeah, I'll go back to Greece for a couple sure, months. Sure, sure. And so we went there, a bunch of us, after the show. And, and we were sitting there, and all of a sudden this guy... Like a little foreign guy gets up and starts reading from The Great Gatsby, right? And you think, like, oh, that's funny, you know. And then he, by the time he gets to chapter two, people are throwing dinner rolls at him and right. straws and na- wadded up wet napkins. Right. And he breaks down and cries, doesn't break character, and then breaks down and cries and sit, you know, like, like just weeps. Till the entire audience was like, <gasps> and I remember hitting my boyfriend at the time, like, you jerk, look what you did, you know, and you're just like stunned. And and then he sort of looks like he's going to walk away and he turns yeah. up stage and then he pulls from the side of his pants, two pieces of tape, reveals studs on the side of his pants and turns around and does this Elvis thing, you know, like with his yeah. hair and turns around to us and goes into the greatest Elvis imitation you've ever seen in your life. The audience, people were screaming, standing on their tables, their chairs. You've never seen anything like it because he pushed, pushed an audience. Andy Kaufman had a way of pushing an audience to the edge where you think like, is he really doing that? Is he not yeah. doing that? Is he do- is this, this guy's this really is doing real, Oh my God, happening. I hate this guy, you know, and yeah. he pushed, pushed, pushed. And then he'd do such an about face for something. It's unreal. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I, I'm so interested in him because of his ability to do that and what what he did, and also the fact that you all were able to uh, utilize your unique talents in Taxi because you all really did have very different strengths. But from Danny DeVito mm-hmm. to Judd Hirsch to you to Andy Kaufman, like it was all it all worked. But yeah. you're all so different, you know. We're all so different. I mean, Judd, you know. The show was Judd Hirsch in Taxi. Right, right. He had come off of Del Vecchio. Yeah. He had been on Broadway with Chapter 2. Right. You know, and he was such a consummate actor and really knew drama. And he hadn't done a lot of comedy except for, you know, Chapter 2, of yeah. course. But he hadn't done a lot of sitcom comedy. Yeah. Um, and so when he got in, it was his generosity of spirit that really turned it into an ensemble show. And he was like the everyman, the person that the audience, you know, Judd and I were kind of like the parents of the group. And then there were the crazy relatives and the bratty right. teenagers and, and Bobby and Tony and stuff yeah. like that. And then, you know, but but Danny DeVito, a great story. Of, and I'll get back to Andy in a second. Sure. But Danny DeVito, a great story about Danny. Uh, he had done Cuckoo's Nest. He had done some off-Broadway type stuff. He was like really, really like not doing well. He was on uh-huh. his like last round of unemployment uh-huh. and that was it. He, he tells this story great that he had gotten down to like one shirt, one decent kind of clean shirt. Right. He read, his agent sent him the script for Louis de Palma, which is not described as Danny at all. He's really? just this like ruthless um, dispatcher. Yeah. So Danny walks in and he... Says this so funny. He says that he was his heart was pounding. He had the last ten dollars in his pocket. Unemployment was out, and he knew that this was like do or die. And he walks in with his script, and his and it was like Jim Brooks and all these guys. And he walked in because they went to like every audition. Right. They well, he walked in. It's like uh, before we begin, let me ask you something. Who wrote this shit? <sighs> and he threw it right. And in that moment, he got the part of Louie. Yeah. That was it. So at that audition, down to his last $10 with his last clean shirt, wow. he was so Louie that it was that total commitment and taking that chance, and he got the part. Yeah. 
That could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting kicked out. You see the next shot of you getting kicked yeah. out. Yeah. Right. That's, but they loved it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And well, by third year, he had, you know, by, after t- the first two seasons, he had points. Yeah. You know, and he wasn't even supposed to be in every single episode. He really? Was hired as seven out of 13. Wow. I know. But wow. when he, in that first episode, because it wasn't a pilot, it was just the first episode. Yeah. In that first episode, because you see him in the cage. Yeah. And then when he comes out of the cage and he's like, Riga, 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 like yeah. that. And he goes down the stairs and you realize how short he is compared to Judd. The audience went, went crazy. Mm-hmm. So you so you had a live studio audience yeah. for that. And did you feel like your transition from theater into oh, that world was... perfect. Was, yeah. it was easy. I loved it. I love working on a sitcom because of that. Yeah. Because you shape it all week. You sit around the table. You give ideas. Yeah. And it's you're like with a bunch of theater song. actors. And, yes. and Yeah. And I mean, you went... You... I, this is a... a Big gap, or do you want to say something about else about Andy Kaufman? Oh well, I'll take anything about Andy Kaufman. <laughs> well, there's that famous story that you saw in um, in uh, uh, Man, Man on the Moon, Moon yeah. that uh, about the Tony Clifton. Yeah. Okay, so just I'll tell you briefly. Um, our producers, they must have had bad seats because they went one night to see Tony to see Andy, and right. opening for Andy was Tony Clifton, and they didn't realize that they were the same person yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. But to, Andy said that he would sign the contract for Taxi if Tony right. could, could have yeah, a couple episodes, and they said, "Well, you can. He, we will give him one." Then they realized what was going on. <laughs> so imagine this: we start July fifth is our first table read. Uh-huh. July the fourteenth is our first. Um, uh, the, you know, Rehearsal we're on the first, no, the first oh, in front of the audience. The, okay. Yeah. And so imagine that this is now the last week of September. This is now September the 29th, Friday, September 29th. Yeah. And they say to us, okay, the, the, in the show next week, the guest star, uh, it's a guy named Tony Clifton. Now, <clears throat> It's Andy, but it isn't Andy, but just, you know, I, I, like they, they couldn't even get the words. I was like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, what? Because we've been working together almost three months. It was like, wait, wait, what? Right. They said, well, it's Andy, but it's not. Hey, well, just play along. I'm sure it'll be fine. Okay. So now we come in on Monday and here's this guy, pretty much painted orange yeah. with a fake nose, fake mustache, fake hair, glasses, chain smoking, Barrel chested, which Andy, you know, had, like yeah. padded in a, bl- a powder blue tuxedo with a ruffled shirt. Yeah. And he's like, okay, where's the director? You know, it's like, oh, hey, pretty lady. You know, and he's this total asshole. Yeah. But we're like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, but this. Okay, so now the episode that week was all about Danny DeVito, Louis De Palma's brother coming, and they're going to have like a card game about who's going to get stuck with their mother for the holidays. Okay. So... I, I just remember this line so well because this is how Tony Clifton acted. You know, mm-hmm. you know, ma. Sometimes she's sad. Sometimes she's glad. You know, it was like by Tuesday, the Tuesday one run through, we were like, oh my god, yeah. he's taking us down. Yeah, you know, this is not taxi. We're right. now on the air. A couple weeks, we're getting lauded, lauded. This is, you know, ah, what's going you know, on? What's going on? So they called him Tuesday night, and they called Andy Tuesday night, and they said. We're going to have to fire Tony. And he said, you can do it if you, oh, I understand. Okay, well, okay, you can fire Tony, but you have to do it in person. Okay, <laughs> at one o'clock. <laughs> so, so we get in Wednesday morning and they said, okay, there's another actor here. He's going to be playing the part, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, so we're rehearsing. And it's like, okay, finally, we have an actor. We can hear the lines, you know, correct. Right. And all of a sudden from the back, 
with two hookers, you know, attached to him. It's like, where's the director? Let's go to rehearsal. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and pretty soon he comes in and Ed Weinberger goes up and he says, you know, um, Tony, we're going to have to, you know, sorry, it's not right. He says, I'm not leaving. I'm not, you know, I've got a contract here, you know, all this. And Judd turns to me and he says, the guy wants a psychodrama. He wants a psychodrama. And pretty soon Judd gets in his face and two, you know, the guards are like pulling the two of them apart. Right. Tony's pulling Judd off of him and Andy slash Tony. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tony Danza is pulling Judd. Okay. But Tony Clifton slash Andy is I being see. dragged by Paramount security guards. Like, I'm going to be bigger than any of you. I'm going to be, you know, and they took so when And the following Judd's, week he came back. He came back. He just showed up. Yeah. But- so when, when Judd said that, like, he wants a psychodrama, he, was he like, Andy needs this to play out this way, so we're going to have to do this? Yeah, but it was also... Like, uh, I'm tired of this. Like, I'm tired of this. Everybody had had it up to here. Sure. And, you know, I don't think Judd's one to pass up a psycho... Sure, sure, sure. Sure, Um, But I just... I, I think it's amazing because it feels like... In one way, like the sitcom is so separate from what he was doing as, oh, yeah. as a, you know, it's so foreign and different from what he was trying to do. So he was creating this other. He created a country I wanted to visit. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. He had this language. Yeah. When Carol King got cast as Simka for the first time, oh, yeah. he said, We have to go out to dinner, but you cannot speak in any other language. Wow. You know, he was such a provocateur, but he did it in such a charming way that challenged you that you thought, like, all right, I'll, yeah, I guess I have to go yeah, along with this. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, cookies and milk for like eleven buses taking his his uh, you know uh, Carnegie Hall yeah, yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. To you know, it's like he'd do these things, and you'd think like, God, no one ever thought of this stuff, this yeah. kind of performance art, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to see what this is about, yeah. and then you found yourself following him. Yeah, you know, no, it's remarkable, and it's remarkable that. So many of you were put together, and I mean, it's such a such a great show, and I feel like it really broke boundaries for so much of television. Oh into, yeah, in, into you know what I grew up on, and and I just you know it's, it's well, it's amazing. interesting when we went to the Jimmy Burroughs tribute, yeah, and the the casts of you know of uh, of uh, Will and Grace, Cheers, and, and, and Cheers, and, and Friends, yeah. and stuff. When they got up, they all said Jimmy. You know, always said. It's taxi, and you're all ver- different versions of yeah. taxi. So find your, you know, yeah. it's like uh, it was so. I mean, and we were like, oh, really? You know, we yeah. were just going there to have a good time because we the cast is ridiculously close. We come to each other's screen, and we're we're so close. I just talked to Tony like two days ago. That's amazing. We're close, so close. And Jim Brooks and I have lunch, and I was just at his daughter's <laughs> wedding, and. You know, he, everybody gets invited to all my weddings. I'm on my third and final. <laughs> <laughs> I had my third and final one, happily married. That's that's yeah. incredible. It's, it's it doesn't always happen like that. Like no. successful things are not always like you are all family, family. And, and but how wonderful. Like I have Book of Mormon where I'm so close with all those people yeah. still and will for the rest of my life. And that was something that that changed us. And like you said, that any people always kind of be like, that's what you did. And no right. matter what else I do, it'll always be about being in the original cast of Book of Mormon. Right. How grateful I am that I was texting with Nikki James, who won the Tony for it just this morning, you know, that right. we're part of each other's lives almost seven years later. Um, so you 
you kept doing theater though, and you kept after oh, yeah. Taxi. You've you've oh always I started. Stayed. I mean, the day after I, before I even like left Taxi, I was already booked on a bunch of movies and stuff. Right. So I did a you know I did The Man Who Loved Women with Burt Reynolds and right. and directed by Blake Edwards, and then you know I did Johnny Dangerously with Michael Keaton, right? And right. I did, worked yeah. with uh, Burt again on Cannonball Run, yeah, and, and yeah. Perfect with John Travolta and, so and you, Russell's Rhapsody. So I did a whole bunch. You of did a bunch of movies, movies. and then, and they weren't also, all hits, but that's yeah, but you. Also, so you worked with Burt Reynolds on those movies before five you did things. Evening Shade. I did five things with Burt. I worked on it. Burt Reynolds. First, I met him on The Man Who Loved Women, and we uh, had like instant chemistry. We yeah. just instantly adored one another because yeah. we both we both have that improv kind of thing. And I knew that. We, and and Blake Edwards, who's was so great, he just let us kind of go with it. Wow. So I um, I worked with him there. Then he called me that night. He said, "I want you to come down to." Uh, Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater, and I did their playing our song. He said, and then I've got this other script that I want you to do it, and it's, you know, Cannonball Run 2. And so I did that. And then I did, you know, a few years later, I did a, um, uh, he was directing an episode of the new Alfred Hitchcock presents which was taking some of the old ones and doing that right and it's so funny as i'm like saying you know all these things it's like, yeah i started that on september the 23rd of yeah. 1980 you know it's like yeah and then i get this call a few years later and he said i want you to play my wife on evening shade so i went in to meet yeah. him in the bloodworth and then i got the job and i always tell everybody and then we worked together for four years yeah. i just talked to him recently too it's like I think that Bert and I, because we never had an affair, right. we were able to constantly work with each other because yeah, yeah. it wasn't like threatening to any of our relationships. Sure. You know, so, yeah. I mean, I love him. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. He's I loved amazing. that show. I loved Evening Shade. Evening Shade. Yeah. Talk it about a master great. class. Yeah. I mean, Ossie Davis, Hal Holbrook, uh, you know, Charlie Durning, Elizabeth Ashley, Ken <laughs> Wedgworth. Michael Jeter. Yes. You know, all these people. Oh, no. I mean, Crazy. that that ensemble, another, all those, a theater, yeah. theater actor, you know, like you. And a range of, ty- of yeah. I mean, talk about people who had all different styles. You know, uh, Elizabeth Ashley, she never knew her lines. I mean, Michael Jeter knew his lines, like, from yeah. day one. Charlie Durning wrote them around the set. <laughs> you know, Elizabeth Ashley never had anything down to, like, the night of. And yeah. everybody had different ways of working. But I, I'd have to say, I mean, everybody's great. Yeah. Hal Holbrook, you're in a scene with him. You, you, you know, you don't catch him acting. I mean, he's yeah. just amazing. He, he played my father in that, and I loved him so much. Yeah. All of them. I mean, he's still alive, so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I loved. I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but getting to actually work with him. Wor- it's, it's funny because you can work with your peers, um, but when you work with somebody who you know, you're like, this is excellence. This is the, this real- is the re- This is everything. It's a different experience. Yeah, totally. You know? Oh, I was so grateful for the job, and especially because... The, the thing I was bringing is sitcom training. Sure. So that was like nice for me to have kind of that in my, you know, uh, the, you know, my arsenal. But yeah. uh, everybody was so, I just literally sat there like, oh my God, I just, what's Charlie going to do with this line? Yeah. What's this going to happen? And, yeah. You know. And you're somebody who's constantly taking in information and analyzing and yeah, remembering and like you're constantly studying. You are a student. I'm always a teacher a student. and a student. I'm always a student. I think if you, if you have a good attitude about teachers and homework the, the, your entire life, it's going to serve you well. As a little kid, I loved school. My yeah. boys loved school, you know, and Joey, uh, the baby was, um, it was, uh, it, he was 15 months old. I yeah. get a call from my agent saying, 
Anne Reinking is leaving Chicago and they're interested in seeing you. It was actually, he was actually, it was March 14th of 97. So um, Friday. <laughs> it's just there. Yeah. It's just there. It's just there. So they called me and I, they said, um, have you danced? I went, oh my God. What kind of dancing shape are you in? I went, oh my God, I haven't had my legs up over my head. <laughs> Yeah. Except for childbirth or a good weekend uh, <laughs> in five years. <laughs> so so yeah. I go to, so I said, called my brother, who's the dancer. He's the young, he's five years younger. And I said, Lauren, come on. We're, you know, we're, we're, you're coming to class with me. Let's go check it yeah. out. So we go to class on Saturday, the, 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 uh, the 15th. And it was literally like, oil can, oil can. Yeah. <laughs> we were laughing because we're doing potter shots across the floor. And I'm like, oh my God. But I thought... I've got to do something. So I started hiring somebody who's going to help me just to get into enough shape to go to the audition, which is like in a week and a half. So um, I go to the audition. First of all, I hadn't seen the show. So I saw the show and I went, I have to play this part, right? So I go to the audition and Walter Bobby, whom I knew through the Grease family, he said, "Um, really good. You know, you can sing sing it, you can act it. He said, "Uh, we got to get, I mean, it's Fosse. It's Fosse. It's hard. And I said, okay, okay. He said, I want to see you in a couple of weeks because we're seeing a lot of people. And I went, okay. So the next day I called the producers. I called the Weisler's office and, and, you know, the person I talked to. I said, do you have anything? I mean, do you know anybody who teaches Fosse out here in Los Angeles? And they said, no, we don't really have anybody. And this is, you know, 97, the show had just opened. Yeah. And I said, um, okay, okay, that's all right. So I watched cabaret and I watch uh, uh, all that jazz and I realized that Catherine Doby who's married to Wolfgang Gladys who had just worked with my husband at the time okay um, and I called her and she was the original Hunyak and I said to her I said could, could you work with me and she said I'm leaving for Hungary to see my family she said um, get a copy of the tape and meet me in a studio so I met her the next day in a studio and she said what did you wear and I said you know I wore like little biker shorts and little jash and she said no no you must wear like sheer this and black and cut up to here and false eyelashes and put your hair up and push up bra and blah 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 okay. and she taught me in a day like Fossy within an inch of my life. I mean, I was in pain. Wow. You know, it was all about isolation. And everything. Yeah. So two weeks later, I went to the audition, and it was at yeah. Actors' Equity, and everybody was there. Like all, the, I don't want to say their names because they're all famous actors. Sure, sure. A bunch of them had been in Chorus Line and everything. Sure. But I had worked on Fossy, 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 and I they just kept getting rid of people, rid of people. By the end of the day, I had done every single thing. Um, Oh, oh, when I called them, I said, listen, I know you're going to want somebody like me who can get her ass on Letterman and The Tonight Show and everything else. Anyway, so that whole day, they worked with me all the way through. I sang every song I did, every scene, and then I found out the next day I got the job. Wow. Which was really cool. And so then, you know, I packed up and brought the, the kids and, the you know, my soon-to-be ex-husband was traveling back and forth. Yeah. But I went there for like a year. I mean, I did the wow. part 408 times. Wow. So there's a lot. Because then they had me go to Vegas and it was, you know, I said, oh, I don't want to go to Vegas. And they, my agent said, well, let's have some fun with your quote. And then he called me back and he said, uh, they made you an offer you can't refuse. You're going to You're Vegas. Going to Vegas. <laughs> and then they had to like drag me kicking and screaming away from Vegas. But my kids were in like preschool. So I had to start them in September. But I had yeah. a blast. The boys learned how to swim that summer and they got their little yellow belts in karate. And uh, we go into the, the um, Mandalay Bay Theater, which was beautiful. And we did the show, although it's weird to start 
you know, doing me and my baby at 12, 10 at night, yeah. twice a week. Um, and they were like, hey, we like you here. We like you here. And I said, oh, thanks. You like the show? And they said, we don't know about the show, but you sell a hell of a lot of Belvedere. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's all there is. People always say, what's the difference between doing a show in Vegas and on Broadway? And I say, cup holders. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah, but we did the full on show. It wasn't wow. like a bridge. Oh, it wasn't or anything. a shorter version. Yeah. You know, I would love to talk about you writing books because you've written so many and you have, you've put out so much knowledge and you're, taking in stuff that you're studying, you're curious about, about health and, and memory. How did you get into doing that? Because that's, that's, it, you, you, maybe you get a book deal, but that doesn't mean you just are like, I'm going to write a book. It's a, lot yeah, of work. it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. How did you start getting into specifically health? And as, 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 as an actress, as, as actors, I talk about it a lot, like body image, health, right? Something that's so important and that is not talked about enough is how to stay healthy the right way. Yeah. Well, trial and error for sure. Right. Um, okay. So I got into health because both my parents died very young. My right. father died my senior year of high school. He died of a massive heart attack. I, w- I was 17 at the time. He was 52. It was at a Christmas. It's a Ugh. sad, horrible yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. But anyway, he died of a heart attack, and I found myself eating my feelings, going away to college. I was I gained a lot of weight the summer between high school and college, right. and I started college not feeling my best and not feeling like you know I could really make a presentation in the world. So I knew at some point I was going to try to take it off, but I had terrible health habits. Mm-hmm. And then when my you know and I would swing my weight up and down and up and down for years, and was able to fake it. Um, and then when my mother took ill with arthritis, with rheumatoid arthritis, she was literally teaching dancing in December still because the school was open, teaching dancing in December, went to bed with the flu in January. It was a brutal Chicago winter, so she went into the hospital in February. She had her leg amputated in April, and she died in May. Wow. And after I saw my mother in the hospital, and no matter what they, machine they hooked up to her, her body was trying to make sense of it. And it was such an epiphany for me. I thought, gosh, can you imagine if you do the right things for your body? So I said, if she gets out of here alive, I'm going to learn everything I can about the human body, save her life. And if she dies, I'm going to learn everything I can about the human body and help myself and help my siblings. Right. So when she passed away, I said, that's it. And I became this obsessed student of health. Now, at this time, I was just getting onto taxi as well. And I really decided it's, it's not about my weight. It's not about my vanity. It's about my health. So if I start seeing everything in my life through the prism or the filter of health, I'm going to start making better choices. So... I read everything I could get my hands on, which was over 200 books. I went to medical libraries. I went to nutritionists. I went to the Bodhi Tree, which is a famous place here in L.A. Yeah. I started taking human anatomy classes at UCLA. I mean, I had to figure this out. Wow. So I experimented on myself, and it took me about eight years to put the information together, and I never looked back. I never struggled with my weight at all wow. after that because it was having a good memory. Once you're onto the real thing, yeah. you say... I'm not going to be stupid and go back to the way you can I see those patterns like you're you saying see those before. Patterns. And so uh, I people would call me and they I'd work with people and I'd help them with their help. Anyway, in the meantime, I was at William Morris and the head of William Morris and I went out to, to lunch with him and his wife, dinner with him and his wife. And he said, "You should write a book." He said, "You have such an unusual background." 
the dancing school and the whole thing. And this is, I was on evening shade at the time. Yeah. And he said, I, I think you should meet Judith Regan. So Judith and I met, she had her own, imp- she didn't have, she was working for Simon and Schuster at the time. And she said, you have to write a book. So I wrote a book called, uh, by all means, keep on moving. And it's about my father and my mother and the, just so many different things. Yeah. But she left in the middle of it. She had a falling out with Simon and Schuster and she started her own imprint, but I couldn't leave with her. So a couple years later, she said, you have to write the definitive health book because I'm going to now for years about health. You're, you saved my son from this, my daughter from this, me from this. You have to write this health book. So I was doing Chicago at the time. Um, I started, people would say, why do you look better than you did on the taxi or during this movie or whatever? And I'd say, you know what? Let's all stay in between shows and I'll start giving lectures. So I started making these tapes with the ensemble and with the other people in the show and I started making them and I was literally putting on eyelashes at night going like the evils of dairy products you know (laughs) my boys were three and one and a half when I started Chicago and so I uh I could give them their bath you put them to bed and go to the theater but I was so revved up from all the fossey that I would take these tapes and we'd download them and and it started fashioning a book so I wrote the book um, I, the, the, I went into the show June the 24th. I was leaving March the 22nd. I started the book in January, turned it in. I mean, I started the book actually in December, but like did most of the writing in January, turned it in February 4th Wow! and finished my run in Chicago. And May 6th, the book came out and it went on the New York times bestseller list. They ran out of books and then went on the New York Times bestseller list and it just gave me another whole career. And yeah. it was basically what the 10 steps were that I did to change my life and how I felt about things and taught people about face reading and a digestion chapter called What's the Poop and <laughs> the 10 steps I take and 10 steps yeah. to your best body. And it was talking about dairy products and it just... I knew the third day of publicity when I walked, I came down from the hotel and I saw, well, I wasn't even at the hotel. I was at the place where I'd stayed for um, Chicago, came down and there was a limo. I went, this is, my life is about to change. I knew there was a difference. And I ended up writing 10 books. I've written 10 books now. So there's Total Health Makeover, 30-Day Total Health Makeover, Healthy Holidays, right. Healthy Kids, Healthy Life Kitchen, you know, just... Uh, uh, Something about not raising where, a brat. Yeah, I refuse to raise a brat. Uh, he's, he's very nice. Yes. So you yeah, did not. You did not. No. And, um, yeah, Wear Your Life Well, Total Memory Makeover, um, and uh, the book with my husband, because that's yeah. another whole story. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm so impressed by that, because... I think that as actors, we aren't, like I, as I started out, we aren't asked to think outside of the box in our mm-hmm. creativity, you know, especially when you have success come to you, especially when you have it given to you in the way that, that not that it was given to you, but you know that no, it's that when it's in your reach with Taxi right. and Evening Shade and all of these things that, you know, all of us actors are like, oh, that's all I want. I don't want anything else. I want that. Well, when you have that, and you are a student who of the world, and you have that curiosity. That's not going to be enough. You have to keep. I have to share. Well, that's the middle them. child in me. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. My my brother, my father, my father would say something, and my my younger brother, who's a year younger than I am, yeah. and he'd say, "Dad, don't tell it to me. Tell it to Mary Lou. She'll break it down to kid language." Right. So I love reading esoteric, bizarre material, sort of finding a, a, a memory hook for people, yeah. and I love sharing the information that has helped me. Yeah. You know, I love doing any, and I knew I had to save my, 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 my siblings lives. And I knew that maybe 
I could put some of the information that helped me, help, could have helped my parents. Sure. And so I felt like this moral responsibility to get that information out there. It's, it's, it's amazing that when that is what your motivation is, mm-hmm. when it's about helping people, when it's about a moral responsibility, yeah, it's way it more successful than I hope this earns a buck or I hope this, you yeah. know, hits somewhere. Like when it's, ge- that's going into the commercial audition and being yeah. genuine, being authentic, being connected. Being yeah. Cause you can do you like are. a fake job, but you can really, I mean, once, once it's like, you know what you want to express right. and you feel the confidence to be able to express it so that, you know, I'm always saying to my kids, you know, Hey, you know, it's not, don't be from the, Oh, keep quiet. And they'll let me live school. Cause right. there's so many people unrecognized genius or unrealized people are so afraid to take some kind of gamble or like a Danny DeVito kind of step. Yeah. It's like, so they say, I'll just stay at zero on the number line. Cause then I don't go to negative on the number line. Yeah. They're so afraid of the negative that they don't like take a chance that maybe that energy will take them to the positive side. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it, it's a fearlessness. I want to give my kids, resilience and fearlessness because that's what it takes that's really what it takes i think that when you embrace that um with the kind of positivity and energy that you have like just seeing you interact with your son just Mm -hmm. now you guys are laughing you're having a good time there's a there's a lot of joy in this house and you have a lot of joy that just comes from you effortlessly and i think that it's a lot easier to take those big chances when you have that joy surrounding you. it's funny you're saying that because i think because i've always had this very strong family unit yeah so no matter how i tethered out i knew i could always not not that you go home but you'd at least have people you know who would understand like oh my god i made a complete fool of myself today but it was worth the shot even though it didn't work out you know and the people in my family growing up the six of us we were in tight quarters it was four tiny little tiny 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 little bedrooms one bathroom for eight people you know everything that was going on in our household and you know it's like no one could throw a tantrum because it was like you want to throw a tantrum? Do it in your bedroom because there's a party in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, nobody got away with stuff. You know, right. so it's like you just there was always that checks and balances. I worry about people not having a big family these days because it really yeah. teaches you how to share and how to negotiate and how to navigate. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that it's just like because we're also so isolated from yeah. the whole world that if you don't have people in your home who are, you know, checking you and keeping you grounded, absolutely in reality. What do you have? If you don't have somebody to say, you're a jerk, you know, yeah. once in a while. Yeah. You know, or that hurt my feelings. And why are you trying to get away with that? Yeah. You know, yeah. whatever. But thank you so much. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's just, yeah. And I do have a great, rela- I have a great relationship with both of my boys. They're both yeah. so different, so different, oh, yeah. but they're so, you know, equal, equally great, but very different. Sure. You know, Joey's not the talker that Nick is. Um, Nick, if I see Nick on the phone, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to hunker down for a while. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Joey's like, you know, he's, yeah. yeah, it's just funny. This no. is for a serious relationship. It's something oh. I adore her, so that's oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, they're they're wonderful. And Thank you. You are wonderful. I, I cannot tell you enough that when I started this podcast, I wanted to talk to actors who are living, who are doing it right, who are living the dream in a way that I feel like, oh, that's that's something I want to have. And yeah. 
you are. But you're like that too. Come on. You are, you know, I, I, I always say that there are four different types at every, uh, dinner party and yeah. as a hostess, cause I'm always hosting something. Sure. There's the four, there's the anchor, the sun, the, the person that you might build your table around, the person sure. that everybody's driving to the party going, Oh, is that person going to talk to me? And then there's like the second, uh, not second meaning, not as important, yeah. but there's the, the other type is like the swizzle stick, you know, mm. the swizzle stick that stirs the drink. Sure. Where people goes, Oh, Rory, you're not, no, yeah, talk yeah, to Mary yeah. Lou, blah, 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 sure. blah. Then there's the chameleon, the person who blossoms or withers and dies, depending on what person you seat them next to. Right. You know, and then your fourth type is your wild card slash black hole. Because, you know, the wild card is like, oh, the person I don't know. Or like, oh, yeah, I know that person. Oh, the, black yeah. hole. the number one rule of any party is you never seat a black hole slash wild card next to a chameleon because you might have a sinkhole right there at the table. You need enough swizzle sticks. This is sticks. amazing. You need enough swizzle You're a swizzle stick. I'm a swizzle stick. You're, okay, me good. Me too. Great. Yeah, we're swizzle sticks. And so swizzle sticks tend to know how to find like that glass half full. Right. And it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is kind of an adventure. Well, let me try this. And this may or may not work out. But, yeah. But, but you know, I, I, I mean, I've made a fool of myself so many times that I can't get offended. You know, right. I can't get offended by people because I, uh, and also I think having a good memory helps because I go, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll be the only one to remember this and they'll, <laughs> they'll remember something. <laughs> that's great. You're right. But that's the thing is that you know how bad everyone else's memory yeah. is. Oh, we don't God. really think about it because you're like, geez, they really don't remember a Oh damn my gosh. Thing. I, you know what, truthfully, I had no idea. I feel bad. I feel bad. That's why I'm constantly doing memory sessions. Yeah. And memory, I'm doing a memory yeah. show and I'm always trying to help people with their memories because yeah. people just have just gotten lazy or they're not paying attention or sure. their attention units are so focused on themselves rather than taking in, taking in information. But it is to your advantage. I was just saying this to somebody that uh, some, talking about creative mistakes. Uh-huh. I was saying a wonderful piece of information is to remember that nobody remembers and nobody cares. And that it's not in a negative way, but nobody no. really cares. So no. why are you worried about oh my what gosh. they think? Go make that big mistake. and But you have such a clear understanding of that because you're witnessing people not remembering and not caring. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that more people in my life, till they knew about my memory from 60 Minutes, they probably thought, oh my gosh, I must have meant so much more to right. her than she meant to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you ever see the movie um, uh, Heaven Can Wait? With uh, Julie Christie and Warren Beatty. Yes. Okay. Well, do you remember at the end when, at, or during the course of the movie, he says to her, "When if you know there might be somebody, like even a quarterback, who comes to you and says something, right? Right. And then at the end, when his memory's wiped clean, yeah. And she, he says something to her, and she says, "You're the quarterback," you know, because she remembers that part. Right. That's how I feel every All single day of my life. Like. People don't remember that they had this moment with that person or with me or right. with somebody else and stuff. Right. You know, but that's okay. They no, just, it's, you know. but that, how wonderful that you are a person who loves to share what you've learned because mm-hmm. thank God you can articulate what your memory is, the, the, this talent, this, the, the, what you have to other people through writing and, and telling people because we need you to give that perspective. Yeah. You know, if you weren't, if you didn't have the personality that you have, I, oh, a I lot mean, of people who have this memory are depressed or yeah. they're like closed in. Yeah, I can, ima- I yeah. can imagine that it's, it's a lot to deal with. And you see it as a burden and I don't. Yeah. Oh, I, people always say, is it ever a burden? Is it ever negative? I go only for my husband, which is why I'm on my third and final. 
<laughs> but Michael always says, what man ever wins an argument against his wife anyway? Right. At least I have an excuse. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. Sounds like he's line. got the right, the right mindset. Yeah. I know sometimes he'll take me on. It's like, Michael, don't embarrass yourself. You don't remember we were standing in the kitchen. You yeah. had the blue and white striped shirt on. I was in the black dress with the little thing. And, and, I mean, oh, it's funny. It's remarkable. Yeah. I, I think that you are remarkable. Oh, and I am you. so appreciative that you would take the time. Oh, please. In uh, your no, beautiful, you're beautiful amazing home to have me over here and your enthusiasm and your joy for life for hamilton oh my god for no everything. it's like crazy i you know how many of those books i've bought those damn books oh yeah, yeah. 15 really yeah and i've given them out to people yeah i've believe me I've i know a lot of christmas gifts yeah i've been to hamilton that's so merch. great but aren't you happy that you've had this and and uh, you had book of mormon yeah. to have something like these two shows in your life there's yeah. nothing like it no it I mean, it's really insane. I mean, that's why, like, you know, I, I mean, this is different, this talking on a podcast, but I feel like I have a responsibility to talk to other actors and yeah. people who are pursuing this because I'm trying to articulate what it's been to be a part of these shows and what the struggle in between has been, even mm -hmm. after they've happened, that you still have to constantly... Oh, you're always auditioning. You're That's always what I mean. That's why you've got to fall in love with auditioning. Exactly. And say, this is the 10 minutes that I have this job. I mean, I had an audition not too long ago that was so bad that yeah. it was like funny. I walked out yeah. there going like... Okay, that's that's like early career bad, right. you know. Yeah. But it didn't even. It it it's like you just have to like let these things go, and you think like, okay, why did I pull this in? You know, what did I learn from this? You know, my boys are so funny because they know I'm very big on life lessons. Yeah. So they'll like go launch into a story long distance on the phone or something. Nick did the other day, and he's like, I know, there's a life lesson. I got the life lesson. <laughs> just hear me out first. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've always, I mean, my probably my number one theory in life is. The key to your life is how well you deal with plan B yeah. because you aim for plan A, but sure. then plan B is what actually happens to you. So yeah. it's like if you could be, if you're dragged kicking and screaming to plan B, you might miss the wonderful opportunity right. that it is. Right. You have to kind of so, just go with where the universe is taking you yeah, and make the most sure. of it. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, what question could he ask me? You know, like, is there anything that I've never said in an interview? And somebody right. once asked me that. What? Is no, go good? ahead. Somebody yeah. once asked me that. Um, and I said to them, um, I never talked about, this is in the past, yeah. I said I never talked about the fact that as a child I had two imaginary characters. And so, uh, and but all the kids in my family did. I think because we were so close growing up that it's like once in a while you wanted other friends. You know? Sure, so yeah. Like, you made them up. So my oldest sister made up two, my next sister, I made up two, my, my, the brother that was next, he made up one. And then my, our sister who's like super shy, she had like a whole, like 12 of them or something, you know. And then yeah. the youngest brother didn't have any. So that was like something. And it's funny because I, my two characters were Milky Way and Icky Winnie, and I'm totally <laughs> lactose intolerant. And once I gave up <laughs> I lost, you know, 54 pounds. Yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, so I was thinking what, what somebody doesn't know, especially with all these young, talented kids, I ended up doing all the hair and makeup for my kids' school plays right. because my boys went to a school and I said, you know, uh, the no one's talking to these kids about hair and makeup and I want to honor the period and everything yeah. else. So I did, I did 21 productions and I'm, I can't show the pictures unless I have the, the, you know, the, um, the permission, sure. but Ben Platt and Beanie Feldstein, you know, and like so many of the kids yeah. that are like superstars and the future talents of today. I mean, the future stars of today and they're stars. What right. is a Tony award winner? Yeah. You wouldn't believe some of the great looks that these kids 
And they just threw themselves into it. And I thought that that was like, because you know what? Because you know I loved being a mom more than anything of yeah. life. And I got involved with my kids' school. I yeah. turned down jobs or whatever, like far location jobs. I mean, yeah. I worked all through their lives. But I loved being like the mom. And it's that beauty shop in the, you know, in the yeah, kitchen yeah. and the dancing school. Exactly. And I love that Like these were kids who clearly hadn't seen Taxi yet. Yeah, oh, and no, so, they like, no they idea. Had, yeah. No. That you were doing. I, it's so funny because I actually did a benefit show with Ben Platt years ago. Well, probably like two or three years ago. And he did a story about playing the Tin Man. I don't know if it's, if you did the makeup for this, but he, but one. you know, like he, his, he, he told a story about playing the Tin Man and all of his like experiences in children's theater. Yeah. And how much oh, they it was meant so to funny. Him. Yeah. And he and Molly, yeah. uh, my uh, son's girlfriend, yeah. Molly Gordon. But it's funny because, uh, you know, like Nikki, my son, and Nick, my son, and Ben, they were Stein and Stone. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. City, City of, of Angels. Angels. So I have like all these. And Catherine Gallagher, Peter Gallagher's oh, yeah, daughter. Yeah, yeah. I know she, Catherine. She is so gorgeous and yeah. what a talent she is. Yes. She played Melora and Beanie was in the show. So oh I have like God. all these into the woods. That I do you have this on makeup. DVD? Uh, do you got, maybe there's recordings I've, of it. Yeah. This will like be somewhere. like worth a lot of money. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sure Ben has copies of yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah well, for sure. thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. This was fantastic. And I really appreciate your time. Oh. And yes. I'll be seeing you uh, at the Hamilton cast party we're having yes. here at your house. Yes. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, seriously. We have to talk about it. We'll talk. We're going to talk right now. It's so close. It's so close. You we're guys could close. come like a Thursday night. That They'll would be, be here the best. in an hour. Okay. I'm going to go <laughs> alert them. <laughs> Audition side jobs swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.